antelope are extremely visual. So the more time you get to spend watching them, the better, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to be like, man, it's that fence crossing. You know, they're just inside out animals. They smell okay. They hear okay. But their eyes and speed are second to none. And I've always felt as a bow hunter, like if I can see you, I can, I'll get you eventually. You can kill one spot and stock, even in pancake flat stuff, but you can get a bunch of decoys and, and you can create a situation. He is the only human being that I've ever heard of that ran an antelope to death. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris, and I've got my sidekick, Evan Williams, here with me. And today we are talking to our good buddy, Jace Bowserman. What's going on, Jace? Oh, a lot actually, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know how, yeah, you know how it is. It's the are end we, of the week. It's been a, it's been a crazy week, but uh, super pumped to talk to you guys. Are we slowing your pro productivity down today? No, no, this is a, this is just a good excuse to step away from, from real life and, 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 and have some fun talking about cool stuff for a while. We're just well, cutting in on his, his run today. Yeah, exactly. You are impending on my run. It's only getting hotter out here. So by the time we're done, when I go run, it's going to be 104. So that's, uh, that's, that's going to be a little warm, but that's all right. So 12, well, um, 12 miles today instead of 20. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm, I'm going to tell a little Jace running today. story real quick. I mean, he was here, what, two weeks ago, Jace, you were up here at my house and yeah, two weeks. You know, I live on a, I live on a plateau up here and Jace was like, I want to do some hill work. And I said, well, if we run off of this plateau, you know, when we come back, it'll be uphill all the way back. So we start going and dude, I, I always tell Jace, if I'm running with him, you just go ahead. Okay. Like go ahead and leave me because if, if he stays with me, I always am pushing myself harder because I know he's holding back. I mean, we'll be running. He's having a normal conversation, just like we are right now. He doesn't even sound like he's breathing hard. And of course, I'm just <laughs> just dying. I can't even hardly talk to him. <laughs> that's, so, that's not true. You run so good. You don't, you don't ever give yourself any credit, though. As soon oh. as we start to run, you already are. You already start like. Oh man, I don't want to hold you down. I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm not training for anything right now other than hunting season. I don't have any big races or anything oh. like that the rest of this year. So I just enjoy getting to run with anybody that will go run with me. What a, dude, mm -hmm. when you're, when you're, True. when your good buddy says things like this about you, it's kind of like your mom saying you're a special <laughs> boy. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. There's a little sweetie. truth to that probably. Yeah. A little yeah. truth to that probably. Uh, there's a lot of truth. We were Maybe turning the corner like halfway down the hill the other day and of course he won't leave you know he won't leave me and just you know let me go at my pace behind he he stays there says he's going to run at my pace but i'm i'm automatically trying to go faster and i get to this point where i'm just wheezing man and i i told him i, I was like okay we're gonna hit a certain point down here i'm gonna turn around and come back and i ended up doing five miles that day and i think jace did what eight eight he did eight that day i did a little little over eight yeah and, you know, I was like, my biggest concern was we're running downhill all the way there. And of course, we're going to be running uphill back to my house. And all I could think was, don't let him catch you. You know, don't let him run to where he was planning on running, which is going to be, <laughs> you know, two miles further than where I turn around. I was just so afraid that he was going to catch me on the way back. Don't think I wasn't trying. For a little oh, bit. <laughs> well, Jason doing a full didn't, extra didn't 5K. My mind. <laughs> that was not possible. It's always better, though. We need to start our runs going uphill and then finish going downhill. Yes. I like to, I like to, I like, I like that a lot better than, no. yeah. See, I think you guys are doing it right going down because at the end of the hunt, that's when the real work gets put in. That's a good point. So at the at the end of the run, going uphill is going to be that mental push where you just got to get through it. The, the yep. truck is right there. The pack is loaded up. You're going to get there when you get there, but you have to do the work. You know, 
I think I told this story on the podcast before. So for any of you that listen to it, you know, bear with my redundancy, but we're going to be talking about antelope hunt today because antelope season is literally it's right around the corner. We got like a week and a half left and antelope season is here. And Jace is an antelope guru. He has a uh, a book out that you can find on Amazon called Bow Hunting the, uh, the Prince of the Plains. And he is the only man that I've ever met. Now, Jace is an ultra marathoner. He runs, you know, 100 milers. Uh, he's a complete stud. We're, we're talking about. No. Yes. Ah. Yeah, you absolutely are, dude. But he is the only human being that I've ever heard of that <laughs> ran an antelope to death. And you he always did. have to tell this story. I don't even I want to remember it. Because, dude, it's like. It's the best story. It's the best story in it. the entire <laughs> world. So. Oh, it was horrible. Jace's, Jace's buddy uh, from Nebraska was down hunting antelope with him and he, he hit one and he didn't hit it good. And uh, the neighboring property, which was several miles away, they were in a situation where if that goat got, got across that fence line, it's done. That landowner's not going to let you go after that wounded goat. And, and yeah, zero chance. Jace knew it. And so after his buddy hit this thing bad and that thing was headed that direction, Jace said, I'm just going to cut him off. And there were no roads to get out there to it. So Jace takes off on foot after this antelope, trying to get ahead of him, trying to cut him off. And long story short, he ended up chasing that antelope like six or seven miles. And granted, the antelope was wounded. So Jace could keep it in sight, but it would take off on a dead sprint, get out there, get a little bit weak. Jace would catch up and he eventually ran that thing to death. Like he cut it off, kept it from going underneath that fence line, brought it back the other direction. The antelope died. And there's Jace, the ultra marathon standing (laughs) over him with his hands in the air. Oh my gosh, dude. Yes. Whatever, dude. That's how it it was the craziest. It was one of the craziest experiences I've ever had because I did. I know from, I mean, it just, it sounds gruesome and, and it is, but it is a reality of like, you know, we had, we had the option of watching that antelope go onto a neighboring property. I knew the hit was going to eventually lead to lead to the demise of the, of the animals. One of the advantages of antelope hunting, you know, I mean, I've been looking at him through a spotter. I can see exactly where the arrow was placed. And I knew that, you know, he's going to get on. Where was he hit by the way? So he was hit low kind of in the brisket area, but it did clip it did get into the muscle of the front leg. So it kind of caught the front leg. He was well forward, obviously, right? Well forward, catches the muscle of the front leg, gets into the brisket. And the reason I knew that it was going to, that it was going to kill him eventually is just because when, when an antelope, anytime I've seen an antelope injure one of their legs, it eventually coyotes, something is going to, going to get that animal and, and get it, or they're going to get, you know, they're, they're going to get an infection, uh, certain things like that. And the cut to the front leg was pretty significant. So it wasn't like it nicked it. And then it was up in the brisket and you could see just a massive flap. And, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know how far I, I just knew that if I, if I cut him off and could keep him in our pasture, which was a significantly large pasture and could keep him from crossing that fence, we, he would either, he would either die from just basically, like you said, being run to death, blood loss, exhaustion, things like that. Or I would get him to a point where he was tired enough where we basically Taryn could walk up on him and, 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 and finish, finish him off. Right. And this took way long. I mean, six, seven miles. It was, it was a hundred plus degree heat. I was wearing boots, um, you know, just, you know, chasing this thing all around. And, uh, you know, the guys would see me for a minute then they wouldn't see me. And when it finally, when I finally got him to the point where I knew that he, I mean, he couldn't just, he physically couldn't travel anymore. You know, he's just, he just, you can, when you can walk up on a, on any antelope and stand right next to it. And I mean, he just, um, it's, it's not something that I like to, you know, but the point of it was just being that, you know, he was able to come up there, get the job done. And then, you know, that was his first ever first ever buck antelope but uh yeah it was it was just nuts because um but that's one thing advantageous about hunting antelope too is is when they're in open country like that if you 
if you can keep eyes on them a lot of times, I mean, if you, you, you even a bad, bad hit, now I've lost some, don't, don't get me wrong. I've seen goats lost from a bad hit, but if you can keep eyes on them and you can play everything right, you know, there's a time to let one just lay and expire. And there's a time sometimes to get them up and keep them moving and keep that blood pumping out of them or cause them to get severely uh, uncomfortable. And, and, and you just got to kind of know how to read that situation. But that was, that was a true goat rope <laughs> from the Dude. start. And it, it ended, uh, it ended, um, terrible because once I got him to the point where the, the goat was so tired to get Taryn up there, I, I was so excited that I'm like, he's, this is, we're going to get him up here. I, I was just disoriented. I, I had my, the heat was just, I mean, I was, you had heat stroke probably. I, I got in kind of a bad way. Yeah. I got in kind of a bad way there for a while. And I got really turned around on the open prairie where I've been millions of times trying to get Taryn back to the antelope. And I'm like, dude, he should be right here. And he's like, well, wait, you weren't running over. You were clear over. So it was just, it was a crazy, crazy deal. <laughs> and and well, there's so many instances with a, with a bad hit where, you know, the smarter thing to do is to back out and give an animal time. Sure. But with almost any animal, when you know, you have a muscle hit, I, I feel like that's one of the times where you want to push them. The good thing about antelope is they're in that wide open country where you can keep, you know, eyes on them much longer. It's not the same as when you're hunting, you know, an animal that has cover and you might, you know, lose blood trail or something. But with a muscle hit like that, a lot of times I feel like you do want to kind of keep them moving and keep, you know, keep that wound from sealing up. Right. 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 Absolutely. And, and, and because they're having to put so much pressure when it's a leg hit in the muscle, of the leg or a broken leg or something like that, they're having to put that much more pressure on, you know, three legs instead of so, so when they do exhaust themselves because their main deal is like, they're going to get out and run, right. They don't know any better. They're going to get out and run because that's what they have is speed. And those three legs, they can still hit a speed that is insane. This antelope would get a half a mile in front of me. But then he'd have to stop, yeah, right, because he he just physically couldn't go anymore. His mouth hanging open. He looked like a guy on the Tour de France climbing, you know, the, the Alps. Their mouth hanging wide open. They're trying to take in as much oxygen as they can, and every time that took a little longer. And then that's when I'd really close up and try to push him again to the point where he finally. You know, his lungs just. I mean, it was like a dog when you see a dog that's been run too much, and they're and they yeah. can't breathe. They can't. They're t- it was. It was similar to that. I mean, but yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy. The moral of the story is my man ran <laughs> an antelope down on foot. The moral of the story is shoot him in the lungs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> to, to lend a little bit more to that for for guys that either haven't seen an antelope run or or experienced any of that, top speed ever clocked by an antelope was sixty one miles per hour. Yeah. Yep. And yep. you know, there's been there's been people. There's an argument of you know they the second fastest land animal in the world behind the cheetah and the fastest in North America. And then you know, just like anything else, right? You've got several animal scientists saying no. You know, like Evan said, 61 miles an hour is is right with the cheetah. So it's one of those deals where I mean, when they want to get it, I mean, I, I they just can turn inside out and just that white butt can be 30 yards from you one one minute and by the time everything goes to crap and you realize, you know, he's across two County roads, another fence and into a pasture and just disappearing. And all that's all that you're watching is just a vapor trail go up on the, on the prairie. And I think that's one of the things that makes them, they're super frustrating that way because you, you spend enough days out there and you watch that many diaper butts run away from you repeatedly. And sometimes where you're just seconds away from getting to cut an arrow loose, or you made the perfect stock. And it just, when you're hunting stuff in open country like that, it, it just, it's just, it's so, so, so difficult, uh, especially from a spot and stock standpoint. Dude, I, I honestly feel like they are no other animal has frustrated me bow hunting the oh. way that antelope have, you know, oh. at, at certain times. I mean, yeah. It can be ridiculous. And you, you talked about the, the speed and things that they can do. I've seen them take string jumping to a whole new level. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a 40 yard shot broadside facing, right. Yep. You let that arrow go. The antelope swaps ends. Mm-hmm. So now he turns all the way around to where he's facing left and leaves and there's, and he's like five yards gone. 
by the time the arrow gets there. You know what I mean? And you, yeah, absolutely. This might be your, uh, your, your 10th stock into it or something like that. And you finally put on a stock where you felt like you did everything right. And right. it blows up, you know? Right. Well, we've seen it. I mean, it's happened to us. We've, we, we hunt antelope together and we, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah. I mean, when you kill one, when you kill one, um, outside of a ground blind, whether you're straight spot and stocking or you're using a decoy, uh, things like that, just, you know, um, you, you really done something. I mean, that's, and I think that's an attraction to, to me, what, what attracted me to them first is because, you know, I didn't know anything really about bow hunting when I started and, and antelope were what I could see, you know, yeah. out here on the plains, I could take a drive and I'd be like, I could see them. And I've always felt as a bow hunter, like if I can see you, I can, I'll get you eventually I can get you. And I just kind of took that mentality into it of, you know, that's what I have. I have a bow. I can go out here. The tags over the counter. I don't have to apply. I don't have to get it through a draw because even by then all the deer tags in Colorado had gone to a, had gone to an all draw system. So that was, you know, um, and I was teaching school. So, so getting out and going elk hunting for, you know, 10 days was not possible. Um, so, you know, it was antelope was kind of, I just put everything that I could into that for several years because they were right here. They really intrigued me. And well, let's talk about, uh, you know, most of the seasons across the country open up in, in early to mid August. Yeah. And then a lot of them will run all, you know, like here in Colorado, we end on September 20th, right, right when things are really starting to get good. But uh, absolutely, <laughs> you know, across uh, antelope country, you've got seasons that run basically from August through uh, early October or something like that, mid October mm -hmm. in some states. But bow hunting them pre rut during August and then in the rut, like mid September and on yeah. is often two completely different games. Absolutely. Yeah. And so absolutely different. Let's talk about some early season tactics yep. and then transition into some of that, you know, beyond mid September and, sure. you know, things that you can change up to be successful. So, uh, yeah, let, let's start off with that early season, which is the most frustrating time in the world. Yeah. Though. It's the most frustrating time. And it's when we always seem to get to hunt them together because we're, you know, we, we got elk hunts coming later and stuff like that. Um, but it is one of the most frustrating times, but it can also be one of the most rewarding times because if you can catch a dry year, it doesn't. And when I say dry people, think, I mean, people get way too worried about like, Oh man, I've got a good water source, whether it's a pond or a stock tank or a spring or whatever. And then, you know, the prairie gets a little bit of rain, even if it picks up an inch here and there and stuff like that, those, those goats may wander from that water source for a day or two, but they're usually going to come right back. But when you're dealing with um, torrential downpours, like we've had this year, right? I mean, yeah. Southeast Colorado is basically underwater. I mean, thank God we needed it um, in the worst way, but antelope hunting over water right now is going to be very, 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 tough in my opinion unless you can find one of those spotty areas where it just didn't get a lot of rain on the prairie you have hot dry conditions there is no better time to kill an antelope than 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 on water and early in the season yeah. um, because they're very patternable on a water source if they find a water source that they really like they're very patternable on it um, and considering those sources one thing that i've always found is if you know, I've had great luck, excuse me. I've had great luck at stock tanks, rancher stock tanks. I've had great luck, but if I can hunt a water source that is natural or even man-made, but is on the ground. And that includes, even if that water tank is spilling over and running out onto the ground and things like that. Um, those tend to be a little more, uh, antelope, uh, antelope tend to congregate and drink at those a little bit more just simply because they can drink with their eyes up. You know, I've noticed that a lot. They're, they're not, if you ever watch an antelope at a tank and I've watched hours of trail camera video because I run trail cameras on all of them. And I've learned so much about, you know, yes, they will drink at night. People say they won't drink at night. They will drink at night. They, when they, they're fidgety around water anyway, they're fidgety around anything that, you know, they're just, inside out animals they just like you said anything you turn them inside out but they go up to that tank and when they have to drop their eyes below the rim of that tank they lose even for a split second they lose their one of their primary defense mechanisms it's their eyes and their speed they smell okay they hear okay but their eyes and speed are second to none so when they can drink water off the ground 
and keep their eyes up while they're slurping. And if you watch them, that's exactly what they'll do. They'll angle their neck in such a way that they can continue to see because their vision is about 300 degrees and they can see so much. But when they have to dip their head below that tank, it really can jeopardize I mean, in their mind. Um, so I, I, I found that when I can find an overflowing tank or a pond or something like that, and it's hammered with tracks, I'll, I'll usually put a trail camera up on it a couple weeks before season. Um, I'll get a ground blind out there as soon as I can. I won't crowd the tank right away. You know, a lot of guys will put it like 15, 20 yards. I'll set mine at 30 to 35 just because I want to give them room on the tank. If I have to put it up a little closer to when things are going on, it, meaning I can't put it out there as early on a little closer to when season actually is happening. A lot of times they'll accept that ground blind a lot, a lot quicker and a lot better. It, regarding how long a ground blind needs to be up because both of us have killed antelope the same mm-hmm. day that we set an uh, set a mm-hmm. ground blind up and yep. general consensus is from most hunters that yeah you can you can do a same day set with antelope however they are usually very nervous and very twitchy very. when they come in and you better be on the only water source in the area because if they have a choice they're going to go to another one if it's a same day type absolutely they will but absolutely they will it kind of changes if you're if you're going to have it there for a couple of weeks beforehand yeah i've had great luck um putting putting it up a couple of weeks beforehand even a week beforehand running a trail camera over it and then you're going to start noticing a lot of times even you know we'll say well how long am i going to have to stay in the blind you have to stay in the blind as long as it takes i've seen them water oh, when i can day. barely see my pins in the morning I mean, one, one goat I killed one year here in Colorado, I mean, I couldn't believe he was coming to the water. I mean, I was convinced he was going to come towards the tank and just angle off because, I mean, I had a barely, it was legal light, but I, you know, inside of a ground blind, I had barely enough light to get my pins lit up enough to where I could shoot him. And he came right into the water. I mean, Mm -hmm. dunked his head in it like he was, and just started slurping and I killed him, but I've killed him at the last the last little bit of daylight too, you know, after a 14 hour day, they finally decide. And a lot of times I have found if it is, uh, you, you had this happen a few years ago. If, th- if it is a same day set, they'll use that full day. It seems like to circle you, to be by you and to eye the crap out of that thing. And finally at the last little bit of light, it's like, okay, man, I'm going to come in. And that, that happened to you. I remember here. Um, she's, not not a couple seasons ago and that sucker came in right at last like you'd been in there all day because you know it's just it's just crazy um yeah but i also feel like based on cameras and based on the amount of pronghorn i've killed at water about nine well i'm gonna say about 10 to about two seems to be the prime time for me um when when i get a lot of action on those on those tanks and ponds and things like that Right. Well, what about on a year like this, like water hole hunting around here is not going to be good. Like, so like the ground blinds that we did end up setting up, we've got them on fence cross things, right? Because they're, you know, you have no idea where they're going to hit the water and we've got them set up nice and early. But one of the things that I've noticed this year that has changed every year, those fence crossings that we've got the blinds set up on, and mm-hmm. you're familiar with them, Jace. Yeah, yeah. We've got goats that are coming, going, coming, going, coming, going. Well, I've gone and checked the cameras, and this year, the grass is way deeper out in those pastures, and I'm talking like uh, chest deep in places, and all of a sudden, we don't have any traffic, right. and I, I feel like those goats have vacated the area because they don't have the visibility that they normally do in that area. And now my, now my fence crossings are even slow. So as the, here in the next couple of days, we're thinking about going out and trying to find a field where they're hanging out now and move those ground blinds to fence crossings there. Sure. Yeah. So is that, is that something where in general and overall, because of the amount of moisture you've had, you've seen all grass growth or specifically around those areas of the fence crossing. It just seems to be a little bit more than other places. No, like that pasture where we've got um, like one of them, there's usually horses turned out on that pasture, but there's so much grass that the horses were, they're literally getting too fat. So the landowner ended up locking the horses up so that they didn't founder or something. 
And now that grass and that pasture has just skyrocketed the whole thing. You yeah, know, so it's, it's not like you could take a weed whacker out around that general no. fence crossing and kind of make. No, no, we're, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of acres. And yeah, you're unless you're going to get out there with a tractor and mow the entire thing. But I, I honestly feel like they're not hanging there because they can't see. Anytime I feel like that's one of the, and I'll, I do agree with you on that. And I think it's something that's worth diving into a little bit because it's the same that I found with water holes too. You know, antelope will gravitate to water holes that are in extremely open areas for the most part. If they can get to that water hole and they can see in a, all the way around them, north, northeast, southwest, and they can see that the entire landscape, those water holes tend to be a lot better because of their visibility to see any type of threat, predator, coyote, anything. And um, they, they just seem to be much better than, than, than like a water hole at the end of a narrow canyon or one that they have to really drop down into. Um, again, if it's their only water source, those can be great. Anything can be great. But you know, if, if you're in an area where you, you know, you have a few different water sources and you're trying to kind of like, man, I just showed up. I don't have time to put up cameras. Um, I, I kind of want to know which one that I would go to the best. That's, that's what I would do. I would go to the ones that are in the most open that give them where they can drink and have the most visibility of the landscape because th their visibility is important. And that probably is why those fence crossings, cause I've seen them last year, that one right where you're talking was, I mean, that buck would hit it all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Several antelope would, but he was, you know, one primary buck using that crossing. Yeah. But yeah, but this year, man, I think this year you're, I'm, I wouldn't waste time sitting water. And that's just kind of me. I mean, the, the, you, could you find one on water? Yes. But I think when the grass is up also though, this tall, and then here in my neck of the woods, we get sunflower patches that get massive. And when we get those, it is time to start crawling around on your belly out on the prairie because you can kill one spot in stock, even in pancake flat stuff, because the grasses are, you know, like I said, grasses are knee high. The sunflowers are head high or higher in some places. Those antelope will bed on the backside of those a lot to get some shade. They know they have basically a jungle of crack, quagmire crap behind them and they can see out in front and things like that. And man, I've killed a lot of bucks spot and stock by using sunflower patches and things like that, um, where you can get from yucca to yucca or sage to sage and then get up into that patch and work through it and get yourself a shot because, you know, especially obviously when you can find embedded, but they're also, they'll use those as travel corridors, things like that, where they just all of a sudden they have to go through them at some point. And if you can get in there and mix it up with them, that's when you can get some stuff to, to good things to happen. So I, right. I would be spending my early season spotting and stocking. That's what I would be doing. Really? Uh, well, and you know, it's funny cause you were talking about them getting shade. Well, up here where we are, you, you, you're, you live in a river Valley. Right. And I live up in the high plains. Right. And two completely different situations. Sure. We don't have, we might have some deep grass, but we don't have the same type of cover that you have down there. And generally yep. speaking, our antelope, they are bedding in the wide open. Mm -hmm. If they're, you know, it, it, where they can see 306 degrees, 360 degrees all the way around them. Yeah. And they, what, one of the things that makes them so doggone frustrating is, you know, that little tiny ball on the top of your ball cap. <laughs> yeah. If they're going to see thing it. Breaks the horizon. <laughs> yeah. They they're going to see you. it, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, like you talked about their, their range of vision where they can dang near see all the way around their head. What is it? 270 yeah. degrees or something like I think that. It's, I, I think I read something the other day that said it was, might've been close to 300 degrees. It probably wasn't quite that much, but it is, it's ridiculous. And I mean, you, you think, well, there's no, but I've seen it. Like, I've just been like, there's no way you just picked me off and there's no yeah. way you caught that little bit of, um, you know, yeah, it's pretty crazy, yeah. but yeah, they're because their eyes are placed further on the sides of their head, right. and it's binocular vision. It's ten power binocular vision yeah. on yeah. top of it. Yeah, yeah. And it, what's funny is, I mean, even if you find that sweet spot directly behind their head, all they've got to do is turn their head just a little bit. Now and they, they got see you. Yeah, yeah. and now they, they really can. But you know, I, I 
I feel like a lot of times, especially if you're good at low crawling and, you know, some of the times that me and you have spot and stalked them, Jace, I wouldn't even call yeah. that low crawling. That's snake would, slithering. Yeah. I mean, there's some times where you're going to have to be flat on most of the pronghorn that I've killed spot and stock um, are just after a long, 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 long crawl of literally on your face, setting your bow out, pulling yourself a few feet, setting your bow out, bow out pulling yourself a few feet. And often that buck will, or, or her, depending on what you got going on, will stand up while you're going out there. And that's where I think a lot of guys, when they're on that stock, they, then they starts to rush it. And it's like, man, I got to get up on my knees and try to crawl real quick, but you got to pay attention to their body language. A lot of times, you know, especially since it's a super hot, day and they're out there that they might get up and they might graze a little bit. And, but sometimes uh, they'll just lay down 20 yards from where they were. They'll just mill yeah. around and rebed. Now, sometimes they'll get up there an antelope. They'll get up and walk just because they can, they'll hit a couple fence crossings and you'll be out of the game. And that's just part of it. But a lot of times I found if you, you just stay patient and you can just be out there with them, um, I've had them get up and walk right to me, not knowing I was there bed closer to me. There's a lot of good things that can happen. If you put yourself out there in, in those types of, um, in those types of situations. But, uh, another way early season too, man, that I think we got to talk about for sure is you got to get creative. And a lot of the creativity that I've learned over the years has definitely come from you because, um, you know, we go up there and we're hunting these things early. The last couple of years, we've hunted them up at your place. Water has not been an option at all. I mean, I remember last year driving back through that monsoon, um, and, and we were laughing at it. It was just not going to happen. Um, spotting and stalking was tough because the rains were late and we didn't have any cover. So we just decided to basically hunt them by finding areas that it seemed like they liked it to be all the time and then getting into those areas and giving them something visual to arouse their curiosity. Cause they're a very curious animal. And what we would do is we'd put, uh, we put the stalker uh, decoys on our bows. Um, you know, we mix up the doe, the buck, we'd each have different ones, but then we put out some Montana decoys and things like that. And we basically created, uh, a little mini herd of antelope. We were laughing about it, you know, saying rocking out with our flock out, out there and just, you know, having a good time. And that's what we were doing. And I mean, we've seen it work. I mean, we've seen it work to the point where it's like, man, you know, the, the, it arouses their curiosity. They, they already want to be in that particular spot. You know, this particular area we were do, utilizing was very sandy, very uh, lush draw right there. And I think they liked bedding in there. I think there was fewer flies. I think that the sand, you know, felt good when they laid down. Um, they're always like to bed in there. So we would get in there you know, in the pitch dark setup, just take a shot. Like, Hey, we're setting up here, get a bunch of decoys out, give them something visual. And it didn't always work, but we've gotten shots that way. Um, we've created a lot of interesting situations that way. And, and we've done a lot of different stuff like that. Wearing white shirts. I mean, that was a big one that you came up with. I mean, wearing a white shirt, uh, because white really seems to trigger them and they have a lot of white on their bodies. And I mean, I've seen Danny, crawl around and we started, you know, hanging a towel off of our butt, a white towel and crawling, just doing anything that we could think of. And all of a sudden a buck breaks off and comes 70 yep. yards and they're not going to come like they will later in the season. I mean, we've yet to have a buck just come in like he's going to come because yeah. that's not where he's at. His testosterone level is not there. His attitude's not there, but it's enough to go, man, that, there's already antelope. There's cure. I got to get over there. And while we've never brought one, you know, 30 yards, we brought them 50, 60, 70. And so it just gives yourself another option when you go show up for a hunt and you're like, man, I'm, it's flooded out, Yeah. but there's not a lot of stockable terrain. Well, what can you do? Well, you can get a bunch of decoys and, and you can create a situation that, that is, you know, natural and just see what happens. It's kind of a turkey hunting setup for is, antelope is what it is. And it's just, mm -hmm. they, you know, I always tell people in that early season before the rut has start, started and before they get into that mindset and the hormones start taking over, if they come over the hill and they see antelope that are already out there in the field where they want to be, yep. they're going to go join those antelope. Yep. But if you go over the hill on them, I don't care how good your decoy no. is. I, you can be taking no, one of these work. 
full body mounted taxidermied antelope out there yeah. and they yeah. a lot of times they don't like it if you're coming over the hill at them unless you just find one that is in the right mood right. you find one of those bucks that you already see chasing does around yep or chasing another buck away yep. that buck is a is a buck that can be decoyed you know right even uh, early even early and you even know early. just just like with whitetails and anything else you're a lot of times you see those younger bucks that you know mid-october they think the rut's already here they're running around chasing yeah. down stuff like that same thing happens with antelope you find the right one might work really well but for the most part man if you can get ahead of them and and show them some antelope and like you were talking about wearing that white behind a decor even if you're not you know, if they see white moving around on the horizon, they, I think they relate that to a, to another goat. They do. I mean, we've, uh, it's proven in my mind. I mean, the first time you did it, I was like, what are we doing? Yeah. And then I'm like, this makes so much sense, you know? Um, and it worked. I mean, oh, you could came, see, he came a long he could, way. He came a long way. And I, I've even seen it kind of calm a situation down we've been busted you know like you said we, we you know some of those little coolies and stuff we inch up out of them it's like damn it they moved yeah. or they're in a little and then next thing you know you know we're, we're in white and we're moving around and the decoys are up and it's like oh they, they, they will they, they will calm down but i think that what you said too is something else that i want to go back to that people need to keep in mind when you're hunting antelope is when you hunt whitetails it's very rare, truly, I feel like to observe really big time rut behavior and observed because you don't, they're not as visual, right? Elk are the same way for the most part. Antelope are extremely vis visual. So you're going to get to see them. So yeah. the more time you get to spend watching them, the better, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to be like, man, it's that fence crossing. That buck likes that fence crossing. That buck likes that water hole. That buck likes to bed next to those sunflowers, that et cetera, et cetera. And like you said, you'll also see some of their tendencies. You'll find that bully. You'll find that brute who's trying to be the stud of the group early on. And he's pushing, he's already wanting to chase a few does. He'll run a buck off. You start seeing that. That's one that you can go, okay, you know, I'm going to see. We're going to try him. He's running other bucks off. I'm, I'm going to try him. Yeah. Just, you know, you want to be one of your best assets as an antelope hunter when you're, when you're bow hunting is being flexible. I mean, you literally it's cliche, but you literally have to throw the kitchen sink at them. You have to give them because it's, it's, it's one all of a sudden it's just this thing works and it's over. And it's like, Oh my gosh, sure. You know, we, we've killed them every way possible. We've killed them with decoys. We've killed them with horses. We've killed them over water. We've killed them straight spot and stock. We've killed them on fence. There's a bunch of ways that you can, that you can fill your tag. Yeah. But when you pigeonhole yourself into just going, Nope, I'm just going to hunt like this, or I don't know how, I mean, you just go do it and you just, you know, it's a process of trial and error. And the advantage that you have is you get to see how they respond to everything. You're not yeah. wondering like, Oh, did because you didn't see that white tail, but I can see those antelope. I can see exactly how they're reacting to what everything right now. So just is something I would keep in mind. One thing that I want to mention about, you know, straight up spot and stock as well, that I think is useful is that, if you do a good job and even in really, really open stuff, if you're careful and you take your time and you do a lot of sliding around on your belly, a lot of times you can get within range of them. That's, yep. that's not the number one hardest thing to do. It's true. The number one hardest thing to do is once you're there, raising up and drawing yeah. your bow yeah. and getting that shot off. That's the hardest thing to do. So mm -hmm. if you're, if, I, I tell a lot of guys that ask me about decoying, of course, because I'm a decoy geek in right. that early season. If you're spotting and stocking them, man, you spot and stock with a decoy in your hip pocket, just like you normally would. And yep. if you get up there to that, you know, 50 range, whatever you're comfortable with. Yep. And that buck sticks its head down in something and you're able to rise up and shoot him. Yes. And he never knew you were there. Fantastic. But yep. don't don't show him anything in, unless you have to. You know what yep. I mean? And yep. then, you know, if you are using a decoy, regardless of what type it is, a lot of times when you go to reveal yourself, if they do catch you, which is 95 percent of the time, they're going yeah. to. 
absolutely. Um, that decoy can buy you time to get a shot off. Well, what you said is exactly true. And the first, the first, um, antelope buck that I ever killed with a bow mounted decoy, you know, cause that's what you're talking about is, is, is using that bow mounted decoy because you're not going to have time to, you know, unfold your Montana and stake it down or, you know, drag unless it you a 3D buddy with you. Unless you if have you, a buddy if you, with you. you got Absolutely. a buddy in front of yep. you, he might be able to stand yep. it up and you just get right behind yep. the thing. Yep. But I crawled up, um, I crawled up to 52 yards on this buck. It was that one I killed with my son, Hunter. He was staying back watching and I knew when I got up there that like, I, I, I crawled on, up on enough bucks. I'm like, I, there's no, the second I start to come up to draw, he's going to get me yeah. just the way he was positioned. I couldn't get around him any other way. And so I just laid there in the grass and I got my, um, stalker, stalker decoy attached to my bow. And when I came up, I just came up really slow and he was like, he knows that buck wasn't there. Right. But he knew it wasn't there, but he looked at it like, Where'd you come from? Yeah. Where'd you come from? That's not right. But for the time for his brain to process, where did you come from? That's not right. I'm drawn and putting an arrow through him. Had I just done it coming up like this, he sees my outline. Mm. My, that's not right. I see a do- boom and it's gone. Yeah. So that's what can definitely, that's absolutely true. And, and that can definitely, definitely make a difference. Well, let's, I feel like that September 15th, you know, oh, mid-September. That is the 15th the t- to the 20th in Colorado. If you yeah. can, right? Like if you can, that's, that's money. And, and that's later, money. if you're in another state that, that goes into early October, I mean that it only gets better. The lat, yeah. The later in September you get, the better it gets, but there's definitely, there's a huge transition that happens Massive. right there where Massive. antelope hunting changes. It gets a lot f- funner in some ways. Way you know? funner. Yes. And so let, <laughs> let's, let's talk about how things change and, and how tactics change a little bit mm-hmm. once you get past that mid September timeframe. Yeah. So what I'm looking for is when I know that things should be kicking in and I know that, that, that bucks are starting to chase does and they're running off other bucks and things like that. I will tell you, I spend a lot more time in my vehicle than I do just going out and beating feet and, you know, just stalking around and things like that. I'm looking specifically when I'm driving and I can get on county roads or two track roads or, or, or if I can, I'll spend a lot more time behind glass too. If I can get an advantage point and see a long ways, I am specifically looking for dirt trails. I mean, when you're driving across the prairie and it looks like a jet stream of an airplane, but it's coming up off the ground, that is antelope chasing. And you can really see those from a long way. And when you see a buck and you start watching a buck and you, you notice that, man, anything i mean if a buck pops up from 400 yards and he goes and just goes nuts after him chasing him oh that's a buck you're that buck is going to decoy i mean that buck is absolutely very it's just one you want to go after all the um, tactics get better but like all the tactics we're talking those antelope, you know, during that early season, they're mainly lounging during the middle of the day. They you know are. They I mean? don't do much. It gets they very boring. It's hard to be out there. It's hard to lay there. We've laid there in those decoys for five, oh, six hours and not yeah. had one stand up and had antelope all the way around us. This time of year, they're up. And if they they're down, running they're down everywhere. They're running this buck off. They're chasing that doe. They're doing all these different things. And it gives you, I mean, I've had situations where, um, you know, just like when you get two bull elk crashing together, fighting, you can just run at them, right? I mean, yeah. you can just close distance and get up on them as quick as possible. When you get two bucks that are chasing each other around and other antelope are watching them, I've walked straight across the prairie running as fast as I could. Does basically seeing me, but these, the bucks are so preoccupied with the rut and chasing and everything. I can get myself in a position that when that main buck wants to come back to his does, And he starts, you know, usually they'll run that buck off. Yeah. And I've seen them run them off to where they disappear. And you think, well, yes, they're going to come back because their does are still there. And then when they come back, they usually use that comeback time as a recovery. And they're just kind of stomping back across that prairie. They know where their does are. And they see you, you've gotten into a position where you could get close to them and they come and they see you between him and his does. You might as well just draw your bow because he's at a point where it's like, oh my gosh, 
that just that's that's just too much. It trips his trigger and boom, he's coming. Um, but when you see a buck that wants to run off any buck, yeah, that's when you want to go off, go after. Um, I go after anyone that is showing those types of characteristics, but you got to remember again, that's the advantage of being able to watch them. I've seen bucks that, you know, you think, Oh my gosh. And they'll let another buck get within 70 yards of them. And then they'll just kind of half-heartedly go after them. Yeah. That buck, I might try him. But that buck is probably not going to be one that is going to be that may do what I want him to do. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but when you see one that as soon as he sees another black horn come over the horizon and he's boiling out of his herd, that is that buck is extremely, extremely deep decoyable. Yeah, decoyable. Well, and my point I was trying to make about everything, all of the tactics get better, including waterhole hunting, because that time of year. I would wager that they have to double their water intake. Oh, yeah. Especially, especially for the ground, they're covering running bucks off. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All of the does have to run a ton, too, because those bucks are chasing them relentlessly. Yep. Yep. You know, I absolutely so, have had really good luck sitting water, too. Yeah. During that time of year, because there's so much going on. There's so much movement. And that's what you were talking about. It just gets fun because yeah. anything anything could work and you don't have those you don't have those long it's just like hunting anything during the rut elk hunting gets better you can hunt all day whitetails get better you can have some midday action same thing with antelope you don't have those hours where you're just out there in the hots and it's another thing temperatures start to cool it's a little more friendly to be out there um spotting and stalking because i mean a lot of times during that early season you're just out there in that hot sun and you're just absolutely baking miserable it's, it, it is. There's no other way around it. I mean, you got to be out there, but it's just it's it, it is it can be a little bit miserable. <laughs> well, we and we keep talking about the, you know, the buck during that rut phase that is chasing other bucks away and chasing his does around and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. what about a buck that you see all by himself that's covering ground? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm after him. Yeah, almost we, always works. Oh, yeah. And usually that's a buck that's had his butt kicked and run off yep. of, of some does by another buck. And he's probably out there looking for a lone doe. Yes. And, it, you know, if if I can show sure, we were talking about wearing white, you can probably get that buck to come over towards you just by flashing some white at him. Yes. But if you if you have a decoy, I love to show him a doe decoy because that's what he's out there looking for. But um, I, I think they'll come to a buck decoy a lot of times, too, because they're just oh, looking absolutely. for anybody. They're looking for anybody. Yep. And I'll, I'll, I'll always go after those. And plus, with one animal, you know, you, you've always got that situation where you've got less, fewer eyes. Yeah, for sure. You've got fewer eyes. I mean, it's one it's one buck as opposed to a bachelor herd. It's one buck as opposed to a buck with 20 does. I mean, their eyes are so good, but you get that one buck and there's there's again, like you said, there's a lot of different things you can try. I mean, I've tried them with a doe decoy and not had a great response and then come back, you know, two hours later, you know, they, they bedded up somewhere. You kind of know where they are and you're like, okay, let's leave them. We'll come back after gone back with the buck decoy and got a totally different reaction. It's just what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that time <laughs> I've always, me and Jace have talked about this a lot, Evan, but it's like, you know, if we could just go out and kill our elk, like in the, in the first week of the season. Yes. And, and, and come get back it, and get it done. Get your, yeah. get your fix on elk and then yeah. have, have the get best it part of your so season. That we could come back and we could hunt that 15th through the 20th here in Colorado, or, you know, like I said, the later in September that you get, the funner it is for, for antelope. But unfortunately we're, it never seems to work that way. I'm still elk hunting usually that time of year. Yep. And yeah, and I'm unique in that my antelope tag, cause I drew one for Utah this year. It starts the, the 19th. And mm-hmm. goes to the fifteenth, the the nineteenth of August, and goes to September fifteenth. Fifteenth, yep. So yep. just like Colorado, they're they're shutting you yep. down right about when it gets good. <laughs> yeah, we yep. get the fifteenth through the twentieth, and and the muzzleloader guys right now in Colorado is the I mean get a good get a good slice right there. Um, yep. It used to be that way, but now they get a good slice in there where it's which that's pretty prime. I think the last 
I mean, the 20th, you know, or the 15th to the 20th is if I'm going to decoy is my favorite. But I, I think that, you know, starting around the 8th or 10th, they start getting pretty frisky and, and your odds of getting a, a positive encounter with the decoy go way up. But I would love to be able to try it much later into into the into the season, you know. Right. Well, let's, um, or into a if our season was extended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about um, like last year, I ended up killing one with a with a completely different tactic a cow decoy well yeah you used a cow and i use a i actually used a live horse yeah and and that that's not the first one that i've killed on a uh behind a cow decoy i killed one in in um uh in wyoming uh with travis capel one year with a with a moo cow decoy yep we and, both hunted with Travis actually one, yeah. one year apart, but yeah, I remember you did. And I killed a doe there with, with a moo cow, but go, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you, well, let's, let's talk about that tactic because I think that it's an overlooked one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, antelope typically are very used to seeing cattle around. And yep. it, you know, I, I feel like in that earlier part of the season, especially where you might not be drawing them to you with a, uh, uh, with an antelope decoy, doing something to disguise yourself with, with, a, as a cow can be very, very effective. Yes. The thing I, I like about the, the cow decoy or, you know, just going out there trying to imitate a cow even if you don't have a decoy, you know, sometimes maybe just if, if you've tried to go a few times and it hasn't worked out, if he's used to seeing a bunch of cattle around, try just, just blacking yourself out, black sweatshirt, you know, a black shirt, black pants and, and crawl out toward him that way. I've seen that work. Absolutely. I mean, again, it just goes back to what we were talking about, about being flexible. I mean, don't be afraid to try anything. I mean, you know, that particular hunt with, with Travis, when, when I killed, I killed a buck just straight spot and stock earlier in the hunt. And we had, you know, that was back when we, we, we had a buck tag and you had a doe tag. And I was like, yeah, I definitely, I love antelope meat. I want to, I want to try to shoot a doe. And we had a pasture full of yearling black cows. And so we used a black cow decoy and I mean, it couldn't have been any better because all those cows decided, you know, usually you don't want them to come towards you because it's like, God's oh, going to blow everything up. These guys just wanted to come over and walk right with us. And we literally, you'll be shocked what you can get away with when it works. I mean, it's, it's not a magic wand by any means. It's going to be, you think, oh, it's going to work every time. Cause I tried, you know, I've tried it in pastures that are full of cows and they see your cow and they're like, nope, boom, gone. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just about finding that right one. One antelope might completely reject it. And the next one you try you might walk up and shoot him at 30 yards. And I think that's why it's important to keep an open mind just because something doesn't work on one antelope. Doesn't mean that the next one's going to react the same way there. It's just all different. Um, it could just because, be the lighting. It could be the situation. It could be the buck. It's just cause they're antelope. Cause antelope don't make sense. <laughs> no, they don't make sense. <laughs> they don't all. make sense. But you, uh, you know, one thing that I would add to what you just said is I have found that you can't just head right at them. If you've got a buck out there three, 400 yards in front of you and you start going out there with some kind of cow decoy, if he looks up and, and looks at you, stop, yeah. stop, give that decoy a little bit of motion. Maybe to, if you're, if you're wearing black, which I wholeheartedly think that you should, or, you know, yeah. try to mimic what it, the color of whatever the cattle are around there, Yeah, turn sideways for a little bit, let that go, go back to what he's doing. It might take you yep. four hours to gradually work into him on kind of like a semicircle instead of going straight toward him. And, yep. you know, a ridiculous amount of time, but the more patient you are and the more you let him just, you know, go back to what he's doing, start ignoring you at some point, they start to feel like whatever that is over there is not a threat. Exactly. You know? Yep. It's true. And, 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 you know, we did that last year, you know, we're talking about using, um, using cow decoys. And, and I think that's, you know, super, super important, whether it's a bow mounted or one from Montana or one you make your own. I mean, there's lots of things you can do, right. But um, one thing that I think is super, super important too, is, is if you last year, these, these pronghorn that I would, 
one that I would specifically wanted was in a pasture with a lot of horses, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot of horses. And I'd watch those horses. Feed. I mean, I'd watch them feed 20 yards apart. I'd watch the antelope lay down 50 yards from them. And so, I mean, I just contacted the landowner and he was overly stoked to try it. Right. He was like, well, I want to go with you. You know, they're his horses. He wanted to go. He wanted to be a part of it. And that's what we did. I mean, we just, it took us two, three hours, but I shot that buck under 40 yards. Mm. And I mean, it, it just was awesome to get to do it with the horses and see what you can get away with because I mean, they, they're around them all the, all the time. So it's just being able to utilize, like you said, all those different tactics, but yeah, that was a great point, especially, you know, if, if, if you've got that stalker cow mounted to your bow and you're out there, you don't want to just beeline. I mean, the cattle no. very rarely just walk right at them and they don't really like anything walking right at them. I mean, it's just a matter of that meandering motion. Like you said, stop. I've even gone away from them. Mm-hmm. you know, just kind of gone away. Like I'm not even over here and lost interest, whatever, work my way around. And it, it does make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, like I was saying, I, I think that if they start to get a sense that you're there, you're moving toward them, they're going to stop and look at you and they wonder what, what is that thing doing? Exactly. And if, if you can kind of let them get used to the idea and you're over there in that pasture, you know, not heading directly toward them. And eventually they just, they, they start to think you're not a threat, Yeah, you know, yep. and then you just slowly, slowly slip in and it, it you've, the key is taking your time. And it, mm-hmm. I learned that with the horses, Yeah, doing it with the horses, because yep. with the horses, you get, you, you're doing a half circle around them. And every time one looks up at you, you got to stop, just stop dead. Let that horse eat for a minute. You stay on the other side of it and, and wait till the, it might take 15 minutes before you can tell Mm -hmm. that goat has gone completely back to what he's doing. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. That's, and, and I found that that's the key when you're trying to do it with a, you know, some sort of cow mimic as well. Yep. But well, Hopefully, uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we get out and put some of these uh, tactics to the test, and we've got a good story to tell. Absolutely, that's the goal, right? And Evan, that like that—that's pretty cool that you drew that Utah tag. I'm crossing my fingers on it. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. Drew it before yeah. I probably should have. So, but that's awesome. Is it pretty yeah. good? Pretty good unit you drew. It's a pretty good unit. I got a buddy that took a 80, 84, 85 inch goat out of there last year and an upper 70 a couple of years ago from another guy. Nice. Nice. So I just got to, I just got to get down there and locate them. I've been traveling so much that, I mean, I haven't done any scouting on it yet. So, well, like Jay said, the good part about antelope is they aren't hard to locate. That's right. Right. You, that's one thing you have going for you for sure. Every, anybody that comes to hunt them, that's what I would drew me to them. I'm like, man, I'll find them. Yeah. I mean, getting them killed is <laughs> is sometimes a little a little more challenging, but you know, I mean, you can go elk hunting. You know, I tell a lot of guys this that are wanting to come west for the very first time, and they're like, "Man, I'm not coming for elk." And 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 obviously, elk are they're freaking awesome. I mean, they're awesome. But I've gone on elk hunts and never seen an elk. Oh yeah, I've had public land elk hunts that I've spent a week in the mountains and never seen an elk. And you want to talk about just mentally deflating, right? I mean, with antelope, you're going to get mentally deflated, but it's going to be because you've seen 4,000 and you've watched (laughs) 4,000 run away from you at warp speed. And you're out there saying, I listened to those idiots tell me to try a cow and a, and I tried a Montana decoy and I tried a stalker decoy and I didn't go directly at them and I picked the right water. Those guys are terrible. That's antelope. (laughs) That's antelope. It's just, it's one of those things. But when you find, when you do get one and, and you can't go into it with the thought of like, um, you know, it's like, it's a lot of guys will approach like is impossible or, or just anything like if you just go into it with an open mind and you continue to be flexible throughout your hunt, you're going to find ways to make it work. I mean, you, there's so many ways you can get them killed. That's just being able to realize when one thing isn't working. I mean, for me, when something isn't working, I don't put a lot of time into, I cut bait and walk away from it. Yeah. If water, if water's out, water's out. 
If yeah. spot and stalk's not, if, if the vegetation's too low, if it's pancake flat, it's out. I got to try something else. I want to try whatever I think is going to give me the most realistic chance of harvesting that animal. And I, well, I, I feel honestly, and again, I have done a very, very, very tiny bit of animal hunting, but I feel like the best way to expand your toolbox as a hunter is antelope hunting. Oh yeah. Because there are so many different ways to get something to work. Well, and you know, it's, it's Ben Franklin, right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't fail 10,000 times creating the light, but I found 10,000 ways that it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you right now, in my opinion, if, if you can find a, a decently isolated water source, and you have the patience to sit that sucker as long as it takes, that's probably the number one most productive way to kill antelope with a bow. Yeah. However, it is also mental torture. Oh. And I, I mean, literally, it's a hot box it and, and it's it's it is torturous. Um, if you, if you'll get out and go through the frustration of trying to take them out on the ground level, you know, eye to eye, whether it's spotting and stalking or decoying or, you know, whatever the tactic is that you're using. If you get to where you're consistently taking antelope with a bow outside of a ground blind, there's darn, you can take anything, you know, yeah. that's, that's my opinion. They are, they are a tough animal. I've no other animal. Have I come back from hunting so many different times and told Lisa, my wife, you know, hunting, Next year, when I go out to do that again, remind me how much I hate them suckers. Yep. But the at the same time, because they are that challenging, when it works, the reward is huge. It, it is so. Yeah, that's why you're already out there right now putting yeah. up ground blinds on fence crossings and stuff because yeah. you've forgotten about all the. Tri- I mean, it's fun. It is fun, and it's very rewarding. It's absolutely the sense right. of satisfaction when it finally comes together is enormous. Yes. Yep. So the guys that haven't done it and are looking to do it. You're going out west anyway for a Colorado elk hunt or, you know, maybe you have a Wyoming tag or something like that. If you can extend your trip, what are some states that they can do that as an over-the-counter option? That's a good question, dude. And it's changed. It's changed a lot. So, I mean... I hate to like, you know, I mean, Colorado, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> it's hard because as a resident, I'm like, you know, I don't want everybody, to, but you know, I, I understand at the same time. I mean, I want people to be able to hunt and, and we are an over the counter state and probably 70% of our units. And some of them are pretty good. Colorado is an option, but you used to have a lot of options. South Dakota. I used to go to the office in Pierre and pick up my tag. Well, you can't do that anymore. Now you have to do it way. I mean, it's an unlimited tag, but you better do it. Your planning has to be much more strategic. It isn't like, well, I'm just going to go out West and hunt an antelope anymore. It's very tough to pick up, pick up something in Wyoming tags have been, you know, reduced. Um, Nebraska used to just, I mean, you could just buy one and you could hunt them from August 15th to the end of, end of December. And And now that one also that state, you can't just go pick up. It's not a, it's not a draw, but it's it's correct. Unlimited or limited it's, it's with caps. Unlimited, or, it's right? an unlimited with caps yeah. and some, I think, and an unlimited withdraw. I mean, you just have to, you have got to apply and you'll get your tag. But, you know, those are done just like Western big game draws. A lot of them are done in April, May. And a lot of guys aren't thinking, they're thinking, you know, antelope starts to set in for a lot of guys like right now. And it's yep. like, ooh, I want to do that. I want to go try that. And it used to be very easy. Colorado, South Dakota, um, Nebraska, getting a, a, a leftover type deal in, in, in Wyoming was, was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. It, that's shrunk. So if, if you're going to come West or you want to hunt antelope and you want to, you can get a tag every year somewhere, but you're going to have to put some thought and planning into it's, it's not going to be a happen chance type deal or, or on a whim, like it could have been, you know, not long ago. Yeah. Little, little more logistics behind it now. Yes, for sure. One thing I would say too about the you, you mentioned Colorado's over the counter and seventy percent of the units. However, the places that it is over the counter, ninety plus percent of the of the ground is private. Absolutely so true. That's one thing that you've got to keep in mind. Absolutely and true. yeah, the the good thing about antelope hunting is if there is a, a big game species that you're yeah. more likely to get a landowner to say yes to, 
it's antelope. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that it it, it totally depends uh, upon the landowner. However, antelope do tear up a lot of guys, fences and things like that. And I know a lot of guys that will let you go out after an antelope, but they won't let you go out after a deer, you know? Exactly. That's very true. Asking, asking permission for antelope in the state of Colorado is the only place I've ever had dogs sicked on me though. Oh, well, <laughs> let that be a lesson to you. Yes. That, that particular lady was not happy. I was a bow hunter and really not happy. I had pulled up into her driveway to knock on her door to ask permission to hunt. She sicked her dogs on you? Yeah. Three, of them, three of them to the door and door was coming open. <laughs> oh, damn. I, I think my buddy set me up. <laughs> I, I swear to this day, I got set up and he knew. My buddy would do. Yep. But <laughs> you had a buddy that sent you to that house? We were. So when I lived in Colorado Springs, the buddy that I hunted with was stationed on Fort Carson. <laughs> and he had invited me to my first antelope hunt. The next year, we decided instead of going west, we were going to look east. Yeah. And so we went out east. And literally filled the truck up with gas and was just driving around with a big plat map. And when we saw goats, we were trying to figure out who owned it. And we saw a really, really good buck next to a red barn. And there's a water hole right there. Well, there's a house quarter mile down the road. So we go pulling in and he's like, why don't you take this one? <laughs> pretty, pretty sure he had knocked on that door before. And, and this lady was not happy to see me. Oh, that's, that's a bummer. That's, that is a bummer. Yeah, that is, is bummer. that is a bummer. That would definitely deter me. We're getting to the end of it here. Jace, man, I'm tired after that run today. I went and did, I did midday right before we got on here. And I, I struggle yeah. with the heat. I struggle with it. I feel bad for you. You said you're about to go out and hundred plus degree temperature yes. and go for run but that's one of the things that gets you ready for antelope hunting is go out there in the heat get used to i'm telling you i said that i said that the other day you have to i mean to a degree i mean if you can condition if you know you're going to sit ground blinds especially there has to be an element of conditioning to your body to be able to withstand sitting in their temperatures will get over 120 and if you go out there and you have if you have not experienced that I don't care how much water you take with you. I don't care if you sit in there in your underwear, you are going to be extremely uncomfortable and things can get bad quickly. I mean, heat strokes real. Um, yep. There's a lot yep. of things mentally. I call it the blind crazies. Uh, you're just not with it. You're, you know, your reaction time slows down your process, your brain processing, everything's whacked. So yeah, I, I do try to get out there and train in some heat just because I know that that, especially during the early season, I mean, and, so many stocks, how many of you been on where you end up having to lay out there and yeah. just bake? I mean, yeah. the, that one buck over where we were hunting last year, uh, man, when we just were out there, we had the decoys and stuff, but it was just full exposure to the sun. We were on that bare hill and it was just hours and just, but Misery. I mean, yeah, sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> everybody Let's should do, do it. it. Everybody, everybody should do it. Everybody should do it. Everybody should do it. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you coming on, Jace. And uh, thank you guys for having me. I always appreciate you guys. Love it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, Jace, where do we find you for more tips, tricks, and information? Um, The best way, I mean, I've I've wrote a lot of antelope articles um, over the years. So if you Google my name, even on the internet, you're going to probably get some antelope uh, articles. But uh, Instagram is probably where I'm the most active. I don't do a lot with Facebook. So Instagram, it's just at Jace underscore Bozerman. Got a book out there on Amazon, uh, Bow Hunting the Prince of the Plains. Uh, It's been fairly popular for such a niche book. But uh, yeah, if if people reach out to me on Instagram, I really try to answer any types of questions that I can. You know, antelope is definitely something that I consider very much in my wheelhouse. So if I can help anybody, I would love to. Awesome. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Jace. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed it and uh, good luck this season to everybody that's getting out after speed goats and we'll uh, catch you on the next episode.